Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Cut the Shit. A podcast that takes a closer look at the IT industry, both the good and the bad. My name is Cameron Plato. And I'm Brian Law. And I'm Brian Link. On today's episode, I'm going to follow up the conversation we had last week with Cameron Plato with a one-on-one with Brian Law, the other co-founder of Plow. Like last week, we will delve into Brian's background, get his story on why he wanted to start Plow, and get his take on some of the industry trends and issues he has seen over the years. B-Law, thanks for joining me today on Cut the Shit. Thanks for having me, man. Excellent, excellent. All right, so let's jump in. Um, we'll get started a little bit. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you got started in IT. Now, as a little note, I've known Brian since we were children, so I have a little <laughs> idea about this story. So there's maybe not a more unlikely figure to get into IT. So, so talk us through a little bit about how you got to where you are, because it's pretty interesting. Yeah, that's, that's funny that because uh, you're you're spot on. I, I think like um, I think like most, I kind of fell into it. Um, it certainly was not a roadmap. It certainly wasn't a plan. How I mean, we thought we'd play baseball forever. Um, but you know, um, you know, the, I guess the short answer is, uh, I was recruited into sales, actually telecom sales. Um, and, uh, the attraction to that was the sales piece cause I couldn't spell telecom, nor did I have a freaking clue what it was. Um, I'd actually moved to Florida, um, with a previous employer that I'd been with for about four years at that point in time and, uh, was just looking to get back home and you know how relationships happen and the conversation leads to another conversation. The next thing you know, um, and I've got an offer and I'm moving home to jump into telecom sales, um, which, which we'll hit on later is not really it at the end of the day. That's, that's how <laughs> it's, it's a broad umbrella. It's a broad yes, umbrella. It, it is indeed. Everybody thinks it's it until you get into it. All right. So that's how you got started into something generically close to yeah. technology to mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um, what was, what, tell us a little bit about some of the roles you had there and, and how that sort of began to trickle in or feed into what we might think of as more traditional IT. Yeah, that's good. Good question. So it started out of sales, you know, and it was just, hey, man. What were you selling? Selling telecom. Selling what does telecom. that mean? Um, uh, at that point, local telephone service. Uh, that was even pre us selling internet. At that point, I was with a company called Nextlink that uh, was uh, to, was changed to XO through an acquisition of a company called Concentric. They were brilliant. They took the floating X from Nextlink, the floating O from Concentric, and made it XO. But yeah, we were we were basically selling local dial tone, reselling long distance services. And once the the Concentric Concentric acquisition took place, it gave us the the ability to start selling internet services as well. So just strict internet services. It was focused on Middle Tennessee. There wasn't a way really to sell out of market at that point. So my job was really just to go out and uh, generate new activity for that organization and help customers see that, you know, they didn't have to spend all their money with what was Bell South as the incumbent at that point in time here. So, so to help people understand how old you are, what was, was internet service at that particular time? Um, the first thing we, you know, it, well, so a T1, I'll give you an example. So we, we did go straight to dedicated internet service, but a T1, the first T1, 1.5 meg that I ever sold was to a podiatry company here in town, a guy that I knew over there, and it was $4,500 a month, 1.5 wow. meg. I think an ISDN BRI that would connect to something 
you know, else at that point because we didn't have the internet access itself. I think an ISDN BRI was three, four hundred dollars, you know, to get 128k, which you really got what 56k. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's changed yeah. a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's. I just wanted people. To, there may be some young people listening to this who don't realize how expensive it was to get very little bandwidth back in the day. And 1.5 meg was blazing. Like it was oh, yeah. like, but you got a freaking T1? How'd you guys figure that out? Yeah, was, that was gold standard. It was awesome. Right? Other yeah. than like maybe some, you know, mega enterprise. Yeah. Yeah. I think the younger generation doesn't even know what a T1 is, frankly. I mean, it's oh, just. Oh, I'm sure they don't. It's all, all they hear is fiber and, and wireless, right? Well, I mean, it's like a lot of things. It's pretty much all completely abstracted away from the how, right? It's just connectivity. No one, no one really worries that much about yeah, the you're what, right. unless a you're a point. technician of some sort. No one any idea. Nobody cares. Hence, cut the shit. Exactly. We'll talk about something nobody cares about. So, so you got into it a little bit, selling internet services, yeah. kind of progressed from there a little bit. Yeah. So um, they asked me, they knew I had a vice because um, I was real close with my boss at the time. He was a mentor of mine. Great guy. Jeff Lovejoy is his name. And they knew I had a vice for coaching. Um, you know, I, I've always said that if, you know, at that point in time, if money wasn't an object, right, if it wasn't a, it wasn't a, a thing, um, that's what I would have done. And I would have gone and coached high school baseball and high school football. I just had a, I, I just had a draw to that. And Jeff said to me, he said, hey, man, um, it started out as a, and it was like a mentor role. So I brought on a person and kind of, you know, attempted to train them up. And then I brought on a second person and then they asked me to run. Uh, what what was a junior sales team at that point, and it was probably the, one of the most one of the coolest and most satisfying jobs I ever had because they asked me to go find five people that had no telecom experience and no sales experience, just so they didn't have bad examples. They 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 didn't have traits that you know everybody kind of gets seated in who they are, right? And um, while it was very very hard, um, it was it was awesome. It was super rewarding to to teach because they were all like sponges, and it was you know the the hiring process was based on attitude and aptitude. Those are the two two boxes you had to check, and if you checked those well, and you would you'd say, hey, let's go run, we'll go run through that wall together. Then those guys were successful, and they were it was awesome because they were all all successful, and it was just a testament to um, making some good selections there and and their their work efforts and what their their willingness to win. Um, that turned into there was some consolidation. We became XO. Things started becoming a little bit more centralized. It was a very decentralized company at that point in time. So Nashville was Nashville, and you were up against Atlanta, and like there there was no real centralization of anything that we did. So that process started. So <clears throat> obviously things started constricting. They asked me to lead a, a senior team um, at that point, and then over the course of a couple of years, um, my boss at the time, Jeff Lovejoy, who was running Tennessee. Uh, chose to pursue something entrepreneurial. They asked me to run Tennessee. Tennessee became St. Louis. St. Louis became starting Charlotte, um, which was an, another fun one. Um, and then that turned into asking me to run the Central United States, um, which turned into me running the, the indirect distribution channel for the country for the last couple of years. So that's, I think that's, a, I think that's 11 years squeezed in there somewhere. And, gotcha. and so to so, so your point, um, on the original question about the exposure to IT, that really happened once I moved into the channel. And the role with the channel, obviously, is to get people that aren't yours out selling your products and services. And I got introduced to the value-added reseller space and started learning about the types of customers that they were after. And as we realized that our goal was really to move more mid-market and enterprise to complement that direct selling team, 
those were the guys that were in those types of opportunities. So that's when I started hearing like real IT words and not just telco IT words. I got you. And, and so is that how you ran into Cameron? Pretty close. Um, I had a, uh, a rep in Nashville <clears throat> that had been in my ear about meeting Cameron. And Cameron, I talk about this a lot. He was doing the same thing with Cameron. I don't know what period of time that was. I think it was a couple of years. I, I think it was literally a couple of years before we, we actually met. And it's probably because I started learning more about that VAR space. And that made that conversation a little bit more attractive, uh, a little bit more attractive to me to stop and go, hey, you know what? We need to recruit this in our own backyard. Nashville needs this type of presence as well. Let's have a conversation. And that's, that's really how that started. Um, gotcha. Yeah, he shared he shared a little bit of the origin origin story, and and the funny thing is, like you said, he couldn't really place the dates either. Um, yeah. And so it's clearly something that sort of, you know, evolved and fits and starts over a period of time while you guys were both focused on other things. For sure. Um, what what was the sort of the key? I mean, this is always hard to to sort of pin down, but, but what was, what was a key point, a turning point or a trigger that kind of got you thinking, I think I want to go do something on my own. Yeah. Um, so the biggest thing for me was it was selfish. Um, it was, I knew I needed to not be doing something different. I was traveling a lot and I've been traveling for, for quite, quite amount of, uh, amount of time at that point. And I was done with it. I was ready. I was actually done with it probably two years to being done with it. Um, as a matter of fact, I resigned um, in September of 2009 and had a long conversation with my boss at the time, um, who was the president of the commercial business unit. And he, uh, he, uh, <laughs> he helped me work through that. And, um, you know, we put some things in place that made it worth staying a little bit longer. And a little bit longer turned into really a couple of years. Um, but it was, you know... Tired of being in hotel rooms, tired of walking out wondering what car I rented, um, tired of you know what the role had really turned into as well. Um, it really had become a, I feel like it had become more of an HR role. I was getting further and further away from the customer with every move inside the organization. They wanted me to take the next move inside the organization, which would have been even worse, and I'd have been gone all the time. And so the, the biggest driver to me was it wasn't about starting my own thing. It was about getting out and getting home. I knew that it was, I needed to be home at that point. Um, and part of the conversation with my boss at that point gave me an opportunity as a part of staying to do that. And so we worked, a, we worked out an exit that allowed me to start something <clears throat> that was also good for them in, in hindsight. Um, that unwound and fell apart um, with, with his departure, unfortunately. Um, but you know, it did, it, re, it did resurface the conversations with Cameron at that point. And Cameron's biggest attraction to what I brought to the table was I'd been focused on recurring revenue, um, the entire time. And he'd been in the VAR world where it was, you know, a lot of one hit wonders, right? Yeah. yeah. Very transactional. Um, we, we, we laugh, we call it that black tar heroin. It's like, you know, you get your, you get your fix and you know, and then you, you move on and you go back to it and you need your fix and you just go sell something and you bring it on again. And, um, where, you know, we, we believe that those models needed to come together and then what plow could, how we could fund plow would be through some of that value out value added reseller transactional stuff that would lead into that recurring stuff. And that, and that's when cloud was like, there was this early, 
yeah, it wasn't there, right? It was like, what is that? You know, it was still colo and, you know, managed right. data center type stuff. And, um, but Cameron, you could tell, Cameron knew, he, he really had a, a, a strong feeling as to what was coming there and knew where he wanted to get and felt like that us coming together would allow that to happen. So that was, that was one of the bigger attractions. So there's a sort of that one-two punch, it feels like, you with the sort of the telco and the recurring revenue and the sales <clears throat> expertise. And Cameron had sales expertise too, but focused around mostly around data center and some networking kinds of things. So that, that combo sort of felt like a potential market opportunity. Is that a fair way to describe it? Great, great description. And, and we, in the meantime, there's also a customer sitting in the middle that both of us were tired of frustrating. His, where he stopped was where I started, on the on the telecom the the connectivity piece where i stopped he started and we both just had this um this empathy for that customer that we felt like was always sitting in the middle of this right here this finger pointing thing and we just we felt like we could change, revolutionize the world we felt like we changed the world by, <laughs> by coming together we're still we're still trying still working on that yeah it's work in progress working yeah i get you sure. so before we move i want to jump to i want to jump to sort of maybe today or looking at plow specifically and some industry stuff. But before we do tell us about the name, how'd you guys yeah. come up with it? So it's funny. Um, I'm assuming you paid a brand consultant a couple hundred thousand yeah, dollars for, to, for sure. to do some yeah. mood boards and, and yeah. figure them, figure some things out for you. I mean, we got in the weeds with it. Um, or, or we just started firing words back and forth via text or would walk by each other in the office and say this name. The one, the one thing we decided we weren't, it wasn't going to be, is it wasn't going to be an acronym. Um, the, the, we're, we're so acronym laden, and you know, at that point, telecom and and then IT on his side can't be that. We had a general idea what we were, what we, what we wanted to, what we wanted it to say, or what we wanted it to feel like. And I'll never forget, I was, I was sitting at the corner of uh, Old Hickory Boulevard and Highway 100, right there in Bellevue, and he sends me plow, and. I'm at that red light and I'm thinking, that's it. It's freaking it. Plow. And I'm thinking utilitarian, you know, turning over, turning over the old to make room for the new. We got to change how this industry is, is you know, the, the way things are done in this industry. We've got a model that, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do all the, the, the heavy lifting and the sweaty stuff to make it easier for you, Mr. Customer, you know, that kind of thing. And I bounced it off my wife and she freaking loved it. She's a country girl, so of course she loved it. She went right there and, you know, fences and corn and everything else. And um, <laughs> it was about, it, it was probably three months. So of course I replied back and said, dude, that's it. You nailed it. He goes and files it. Away we go. Three months later, um, we're sitting at a lunch with a buddy of ours, buddy of yours, and um, and he says he's he's you know he's always that that guy. He's like poking at us. He's like, "What's this plow crap, man?" We're we're both like, "What?" He's like, "What's plow? What's his name? Plow, plow." And uh, he goes, "What's it like? Plato and law combined?" I was like, "You're freaking stupid." No, dude. And Cameron goes, "Yes." And I went, <laughs> "What?" And he goes, "Yeah." He goes, it's kind of like Red Ventures, which was a group that we knew out of Rock Hill, South Carolina, that did something similar. And that was one of the things we had talked about. But my brain never went there. My brain went straight to where it went from a description perspective and what it felt like to me. I had no idea that that's where it had originated. So, yeah. There you Some go. worthless information for everyone. For all you, all you brand consultants out there. Yeah. Um, Oops. Take note. <laughs> take note. Just give it to me and Cameron and we'll go back and forth and we'll get, we'll get you a name. We might not know where it comes from, but we'll get it. 
Well, when we named our company, the company I started back in the early 2000s, we did a, I told everybody to go home, write down three names on a piece of paper and come back the next day. And we were going to pick one of them, you know, because we didn't have time to fool around with it. And that's, we came up with a name. I don't know if it, you know, I don't know if it's a great name or a terrible name, but we finished, we finished in a day. (laughs) So, you know, there you You go. You got to do what you got to do sometimes. I mean, I I think that. I don't know how good it was, especially in the early stages. Nothing's good without without branding, I guess. But, right. I mean, is Coca Cola really a good brand name, or yeah, is it because is it? we know what it is? Right. Yeah. It's, it's we socially construct these things. I mean, at the end yeah. of the day, a brand becomes powerful and the name becomes meaningful because of the product or service, not Absolutely. because of the name. I mean, you can have right. a bad name. Don't get me wrong, but I, I don't think great names make great companies. Great companies make great brand names. Absolutely. So I mean, for God's sake, we had a we had a tractor sitting out in the middle of a cornfield is, is the opening page of the website. You know, I remember like, that, actually. And that, and that meant a lot to us. I mean, that meant everything to us. Like, we knew exactly what that meant. And everybody else was like, you guys sell tractors? Are you selling y'all farm equipment? Selling, y'all selling yeah. feed? Like, what are y'all doing? Like, you're oh a little too meta. You were, you, were, you were early into the meta phase, Law. You just didn't Way know Way too. Way too early. <laughs> so let, let's fast forward. You, and, you guys got, got together, got started you know, 2012, about that time. So yeah. nine years into this gig. Um, when you, when you kind of think back over that span, what, what industry trend or change that you've seen or you witnessed really is most surprising to you? Um, I'd say the, I'd say the, I'd, I'd actually go more lack of change and say that it's surprising to me that the VARs are still around. I mean, I really felt like, based on how things were moving from a from a trajectory around consumption-based, you know, technology, that we'd be a lot further along down that path. And it's 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 just surprising to me that the the number of like hardware purchases that we still hear of out there today, and that there's still there's so much there's still so much competition in in that market of people just selling hardware and, and software licenses. Um, that, that's Why do you think that is? What's, what's your theory on that? I think that, you know, we talk to a lot of customers, right, you know, every day, and there's still, still a holdup on an apprehension to cloud-based services. There's this, there's this general feeling of it's not secure and it's not safe. And, you know, there's, there's the old school guys that think I need to be able to go over there in that corner and freaking look at those lights that are on. I need to be able to hit that machine on the side because I know if it blips a little bit and we start experiencing latency, if I, if I touch it just right, it, whatever, you know. So um, I, I think that that's, that's it. There's, there's a lack of um, belief in the security of it. And there's just, frankly, some old school people that want to see their stuff, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting. There's stories every day about, data breaches and security issues, oftentimes around cloud providers. Um, and, and those get a lot of headlines. You know, Microsoft has had some issues recently. Everybody has. It's not a, you know, at some point, everyone's going to hit with something. That seems to be the nature of the internet because the internet isn't secure by design, right? Everyone yeah. forgets that. Um, I think there's data centers all over the place that are having security issues too. Those just don't make the headlines, right? I mean, at the end of the day, if a data center is connected, it's not really any different than a cloud provider, right? Absolutely. I mean, so I think I think you've got some control freak stuff going on for sure. Um, and the VARs, I think, have gotten better uh, at doing at selling stuff, right? They've they figured out how to price things differently, you know, sell some sort of hardware purchases as services and that kind of sure. thing. I mean, 
they've adapted. I think you, I think we've seen that. Yeah, I, I just think through the amount of staff that a lot of those guys carry as it relates to engineering resources because of the the certification requirements by you know some of these manufacturers, and it just seems so heavy and and, and burdensome. <clears throat> and then when you talk to those guys, all the way back to you know, let's go back to 2010 when I was having these conversations with these VARs across the entire United States. Um, just the, the their their apprehension of moving to something recurring because they didn't know how to make that work. They didn't know how to pay their reps, you know, through that transition. But they right. knew how to go drive down cost with one of the manufacturers in order to create enough margin that they could still sell the deal and keep the lights on and keep everybody coming back. And that's that goes back to my whole black tar heroin comment. I mean, it's just like you get used to what you get used to, and it's, it's yeah. hard to get away from it. So, you know, one of the questions I had was talking about disappointments, and, and that's, that lack of change obviously smells like a disappointment to you. Um, but, you know, in terms of the business itself, what, you know, what, what feels like, I mean, maybe it's not a disappointment, but a, a surprise or maybe a negative surprise. When you think about Plow, what's been your biggest disappointment or biggest sort of negative surprise around the way the, the business has evolved? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I, I think that there's a couple of things that stick out to me. Um, I think at one point we got sucked in to being a VAR. Um, and we, that, we didn't want to be there. I mean, that was the, that was the two things we were not going to be. We were not going to be a VAR, and we were not going to be just a pure telco reseller because those are the two places that we both came from, and we swore we'd never go back, right? Um, but, you know, like anything in life, your relationships trump things sometimes, and, you know, we got used to it. We were growing. Um, this was 17, 18. We had a couple of relationships in some places that uh, had, you know, big budgets, and they trusted us, and we started selling – um, a lot of uh, a, a lot of resale, and as a part of that selling that resale, to your point, we're wrapping in pro services with it, and that caused us to advance hiring. And I would say that you know, just in general, not just specific to that piece, I just think we've made some we've made some poor hiring choices, and um, we when we did, we didn't always act upon them as quickly as we should have, um, and I think that was more a uh, market perception thing that we just didn't want to look like we were churning through people. And not to mention, I mean, when Cameron and I make a commitment to somebody, we make a commitment to somebody. And a lot of times we'll, we'll, we'll stare in the mirror too long about what can we do to make this person more successful? How can we help them? Um, and the reality was we were super reactive in some of our hiring decisions and choices and you know, I mean, I think that I think we you know, we missed. I think it, it slowed us down. It really did. So the decision to the unconscious decision, I should say, to do some of the VAR stuff we were doing, along with what that led to as far as staffing people up and maybe not having some right leaders in place. I think it set us back. I, mean, I don't think it did. It set us back. And um, good news is we made a, a conscious decision in Q3 of 18. We woke up and realized that that's where we were and we, we, we made the adjustment. And what's ironic is there was a series of events of events that took place in early 19 that if we wouldn't have made that adjustment, I don't know that we'd have been here. And I don't know that we would have, you know, survived COVID ultimately um, without a sustainable recurring revenue business. Right. right. Um, 
so along those lines, you know, you've been you've been in this game for a while, uh, and you we can we could probably talk all day about some of the issues and criticisms and frustrations uh, with the industry, right? We know your origin <clears throat> story is tied to that, but let's let's flip the script a little bit and go. I'd like to hear from you. What what do you think is the most? If you look at the positive side of the equation, what do you think is something that the industry as a whole does really really well? Man, you know what I think. It's easy to get talk, to talk about like the negative stuff, right? And that's the whole cut the shit piece. It's not really the negative. It's, it's, it's making sure that we're not getting lost in the stuff that doesn't matter. But the industry as a whole, man, it does a lot of good. Um, you know, I mean, we, we continue to, as you know, we continue to see huge advances in, in just technology in general. And those aren't advances that are just impactful for business. Those are examples that are impactful to everyday life for you and I and you know, our kids and we, we see the, we see how advanced they are versus us. You know, it's like, remember you making fun of my dad for, you know, some of the stuff he does. And now my boys are like, you know, my daughter, my daughter, especially like, you, you don't know how to do that. Like, get it, move, get out of the way. But right. you know, when you think about the, the research and development and the, the millions and millions of dollars being, you know, thrown at that every day, um, you know, I think that there's there's huge advancements there that are, are doing nothing but driving you know, betterment. Um, it's it's not about the tech. It's never been about the technology, uh, from my perspective. It's been about how the technology goes to market, um, more or less. Um, the technology technology works because of the R and D that gets put into place. When it doesn't work, it's because something was missed in, I feel like, in the, in the buying scoping process to ensure that it's the right whatever to do the job. But um, I don't ever want to come across like this industry, like we, we hate this industry. This is, this is the industry we, we've chosen to live in. And there's a, there's, I feel like there's a lot of good to it. So between the two of you, Cameron mm-hmm. and you, you know, Cameron's more the tech head in terms of his background. You're a little less so. Nerd, nerd. Yeah, you call it you. You call them what you want. Um, do you see the fact that you're, I call it, lack of technical background? Do you see that as a strength? Out early on, no. Actually, early on, um, I was intimidated by it. Th- to be honest with you, it was it was way. And you and I, I think we had this conversation um, years ago. It was way bigger than anything that I. I expected it to be. And there were, uh, when you got a partner like Cameron, who is just a, I mean, you know, I mean, he's just a very bright guy. And um, he, his, his knowledge of technology is incredibly deep. Um, I've always said that he can talk, he can walk and talk with the, the best CIO out there, um, or technology guy out there, I should say. And, but then he can go have that same conversation with a second grader. And, and, and make it work on, on both sides. The problem for me early on was the types of opportunities we were in were more enterprise uh, size opportunities because that was really where we had both been living. And we would get in and we were two men in a truck, right? And we'd get into those conversations and, you know, how our space is, this is a negative part, you know, they're, everybody's gotta be the smartest guy in the room. And it, it becomes quite annoying through that process. and. You know, there were times where they were having technical conversations that, to me, might as well 
the, our language might, have, might as well have changed to Chinese at that point. Like, I didn't understand anything. And, and as you know, I'm a copious note taker. I like to take notes and I like to learn. It got to a point where I didn't even know what the hell I was even writing down anymore. Like, I had more questions about the comments than I even knew what to do with at that point in time. So um, I think I, my point is, in the right environment, I think it's good. I was out of place big time in that environment. And I don't have a desire to know all the stuff gigabytes and bits and ram and flash and all that stuff like i didn't i didn't have it on the telecom side i don't have it here my goal has always been how do i uncover an opportunity to help somebody and and really help somebody means you know make their business better solve a business problem solve a personal problem within the business and my goal has always been to bring smart people with me to qualify that and to know there's something real and then to bring the right people in the room to have the conversation and allow me to kind of navigate it to make sure it doesn't get too far off track in order to, to provide them with, with a solution that's ultimately going to help them. So I think that in that mid-market, in the, the, the smaller end space, the traction to me there is you're talking to business people more times than not and it they think about business. They don't think about IT. They don't think about anything. They think about how do we grow the business. And man, that's what I want us to be. I, I want us to be the company that people go, man, they're a great partner <clears throat> because they allow us to go focus on what we do and we don't have to worry about the rest. We sleep, we, we sleep well at night and we know we're going to come in and we're going to go do our thing and they've got our back. Got it. All right, a couple questions and we'll wrap up. Um, thinking forward a little bit. What, what excites you as you think about your future and the industry as a whole couple years, three years, not, you know, let's not get too crazy. What, what, do you, what excites you? What do you, what, what do you, what really gets you kind of juiced when you think about that time frame? I, I think people are becoming more open um, to outsourcing. Um, I think that we've got a great opportunity um, uh, to, to really focus on some key areas. We've been very gray and big as an organization in what we do. And it's because Cameron and I can typically have, a, it's, it's us been doing the majority of the, of the selling um, and relationship building. So we typically can, can work through whatever the customer wants or needs and make it work on our end. And we've grown as a result of that, but now we've realized, all right, these are the areas that make the most sense at, 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 for Plow. This is the, this is what the ideal client looks like. We don't have that fully baked, but this is what the ideal client looks like in each of those areas. And this is what they need. And this is what we have to help them as a part of that. So I think that by us shrinking our focus and getting real you know, laser tight on what we're taking to market and then how we're onboarding and supporting those customers, because let's face it, we talk about this all the time. We don't ever want to lose a customer. And you know, a lot of that happens um, in qualifying them and understanding who they are. I mean, we, we interview people characteristically and philosophically as much as we do, you know, the opportunity of the technology uh, as well. So I think when you do that and they're doing the same thing for you, then you end up creating partnerships where nobody really, nobody's looking to leave. Nobody's looking to do something different as long as you deliver and do what, you're, you, know, what you say you're going to do. I just think there's an, a, a great opportunity to deliver right now. And I think people are more open to it. I think the smaller and the mid-sized businesses especially are realizing how hard it is to keep really good talent in this town, Nashville specifically right now, um, and, and develop them. There's a lot of risk in flight 
presently. And I think we bring a, an organization that, that protects them from, the, you know, from that risk they're feeling today. Gotcha. Okay. Last question. So think about this podcast is still fairly new. Um, you were one of the creators of the uh, clever name, Cut the Shit. Uh, so when you think about it as a as a project or a concept, what what are your goals for it? What do you what do you want listeners to take away from it and to get out of it? Yeah, we had this conversation with one of our customers the other day. Um, it was fun. Um, you know, I think first and foremost, it's to help people get a feel for who we are. Um, I think people are attracted to like minded people, and I, I, my hope is that they get a sense of our personality they get a sense of just our, our our characteristics just in general what we're about um and when that resonates with them they they we, we have an opportunity to to do some things with them and i think it's i think it's hard in today's day and age um it's hard and hard to get your get your brand out because it's just it ends up being a website and it ends up being some social media posting and i think this is an opportunity for us to 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 talk and for anybody that wants to hear, there may not be anybody that wants to hear. That may be their Find version out. to cut the shit. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to listen to it. Um, but, you know, ultimately, I think our goal is to, you know, to share our thoughts, and, you know, our opinions um, throughout the experiences that we've had uh, for, you know, doing this as long as we've done it. And, you know, ultimately, I think we want to make a positive impact on this industry uh, because we've committed our lives to serving it, you know, at this point. And um, I think that uh, providing uh, education and awareness um, that is based on both the good and the bad. We've talked about the good and the bad today. The real stuff, um, you know, I, it ultimately get, puts us in a position to, you know, I guess the message to our customer is, or our prospective customer is, man, we just want to help you solve your, you know, solve and accomplish your goals and objectives. And we're going to cut all the shit out of that, right? There's not going to be anything extra in it. And, you know, in hopes that when we do have an opportunity to have those conversations, those customers feel comfortable those businesses feel comfortable, you know, dealing, you know, playing with the cards face up and knowing that they can trust us to take them through a process that's ultimately going to give them the output they're looking for, which is probably, I don't want to think about IT, right? Frankly, I don't want to think about it. So I just want it to work. Yeah. And, and, and then the last thing I would say is, you know, man, um, life's short and uh, it, it's, 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 it's a blip sometimes. And, we want to have, I mean, selfishly, I know, speaking for me, I want to have some fun doing it, you know, which means I want to be around, I want to hire the types of people that we, that make sense for us. I want to onboard the types of customers that make sense for us. And, and I want to, I mean, I don't feel like there's anything fun about IT at the end of the day. So it's going to be about the relationships that we build. So my hope is that, you know, we, we, we continue to build the relationships that we're building today and we have some fun through this whole process. I think that's a good note to end on. Um, I, this has been fun for me. I hope it has for you. And I certainly yeah, hope at least the three or four people that are listening uh, <laughs> found it fun as well. Maybe we can get to six or seven by, uh, yeah. by week, uh, week 10. We'll see. I'll make, I'll make my kids watch. We'll, they'll give us three. So, Brian, thanks again for sharing your thoughts on the industry and cut the shit. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll be back in two weeks with an interview with a current IT insider to talk about his current role and some of the challenges and frustrations he has in working with IT vendors. Like every other podcast out there, I'm required to browbeat you into sharing this podcast with anyone and everyone who might be remotely interested in hearing an irreverent take on the arcane world of IT. <laughs> so if you are sufficiently motivated to share, you can find links to this podcast on our website at plow.net, 
on our YouTube and Instagram feeds, on Apple Podcasts, LinkedIn, and probably a bunch of other places too. Or as my kids like to say, just Google that shit. You'll find it for sure. Take care and have a great day.